because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If, if, if you continue in your faith, establish firm and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So what the first thing that Paul wants to tell his, this young church, he wants to tell us, is we must continue in our faith in Christ. We must continue in our faith in Christ. These things are true of you. You're holy. You're without blemish. You're free of accusation if you continue in your faith. Don't misunderstand me. Don't misunderstand Paul. He's not saying that we bring anything to our salvation. But we can certainly take something away. That is to discontinue making Jesus the Lord of all our only object of faith. We can stop. We can stop putting our faith in Jesus and all He's done. And put our faith in someone or something else. And realize the context of this letter is there is a group of people who are trying to cause these young believers to put their faith in something else. We'll get there when we get to chapter 2. But Paul is warning them, and he's warning us, don't stop believing. Don't stop following. Don't stop abiding in Him. Don't get distracted. Don't get discouraged. Don't get duped. Don't stop making Jesus your firm foundation. Continue. He says something similar in his letter to the Romans as he talks about the Jewish people who reject their own Messiah. They don't put their faith, at least some don't put their faith in Him. They reject the one God provided. And then, the gospel comes to the Gentiles and is bearing fruit among them. This is his commentary about this. Romans chapter 11, verse 22. Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, that is the Jews who reject Christ in unbelief. But kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off point is you need to continue in your faith in Christ. And this is what we call in theological realms the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. That is, God's children, God's saints, are those who cling to Him by faith until the end. Now this sometimes it can be a muddy, muddy discussion. And it jams our gears because we don't want to discredit for saying we brought anything into our salvation. And that is true. But here's the thing we also need to understand. Is that God relates to you and me as volitional beings. To make choices. Okay? And yes, God 
gives us the ability to believe, but he relates to us as volitional beings. And so he says in the previous letter to the Philippians, make this choice to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That seems like a choice of some, some effort that we need to make. But then he says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So there's God at work there. So you've got the balance. But we are not robots. God asks us to make choices. Choose this day who you follow. Choose life all throughout the scriptures. Because some of us want to ask God to do every little thing for us, including our obedience. Well, I, I wasn't obedient because God didn't work that out in me. Time out. He relates to us as volitional beings. You know, what if you tell your parents that, kids? Well, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad, I, I didn't obey you because God didn't cause me to do that. No, that wouldn't fly, would it? And that's not how our relationship with God works. He relates to us as volitional beings. He gives us the power to obey, but we have to make a choice to choose and obey him. We need to make a choice to continue in our faith following Jesus Christ. And there are lots of things in this world, and the devil is looking to derail us in our faith. It was true then, and it's true now. You know, my own personal experience is I grew up in the church. I was Toby. I grew up in the church. And I had an, an amazing youth group. I mean, it was like 60, 70 people on a, on a Wednesday night. At least from a worldly standpoint, it seemed like that was a happening thing, right? And it was very cool. God did a lot of things. But I look back and I go, who's following Jesus now? Who's following Jesus today? Through my high school, through my college experience, people have stopped. They've gotten distracted by wealth or relationships or hobbies or pleasures or worries. They put Jesus aside. People get disheartened. They're fearful. They're fearful of the cost of following Jesus. I might get fired from my job. I might lose my life. What will my parents say? And that's just in America. Other countries, we're talking about people losing their lives. People get disappointed or disillusioned. They're hurt by life. Things aren't working out like they thought they would. God, I thought I'd be married by 32. Why isn't this happening? God, I thought you'd give me children. God, I thought you'd give me that job. We're hurt by the church. Things happen in the church. People are discouraged. So if that's the way the church is, that's the way the church leadership is, well then I don't want anything a part of that. But we're having our eyes on men rather than on the Christ who was disappointed by the people around him. Trust me. People get duped or deceived. And that can be a combination of things. But oftentimes it's because I think because sometimes the simplicity of the gospel is like, look, all you have to do is, is follow Jesus. 
It's not as simple as you think, by the way. But the thing is, the truth is we don't have anything to offer to our faith. And so someone says, well, you know, this, this, this religion has stuff I can do. And it feels good to your flesh to have something to contribute. It's pride. But some people get duped. And that's one of the heresies that's coming the Colossians way. But some people stop following Christ. I don't know why. But those are some of the things that happen. They seem to be following Christ at one morning, at moment, and another, they're not. And it kind of equates itself to the parable of the, of the seeds that Jesus tells in the sower. He tells it three, three, three Gospels. Mark 4, Matthew 13, Luke 8. The seed goes out, right? And the, the seed that falls on the path, it gets snatched away right away. So the Gospel of the seed is rejected right away. But there's a seed that falls on rocky ground. And it seems to grow up. It starts growing. It's exciting. And then the heat comes. And it burns up and it's faded away. There's another seed that falls among thorny ground, right? And it gets choked. It has growth, but there's no fruit. Jesus says that's the cares, the worries, the deception of wealth. And then there's the, the fruit that falls on the good soil that brings forth 30, 60, 100 fold of fruit. It seems that there's life there for some, and then it gets choked. What happens? And here's one of the things that I think it gets in the way. It's one of our theological maxims, especially in our evangelical crowd. And, and we've I don't think we mean, we mean this, but it, it gets in the way because we make it Scripture versus what the whole Scripture says. And that is, once saved, always saved. And I may be offending somebody right now, but I'm trying to say what the Scripture says. We usually base this in John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And externally, that's true. No one can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. But we can leave his hand. We can stop following. We can stop believing. And again, it manifests itself in two forms. A complete denial of our faith in Christ. Or our denial by the way we live our lives. And hear me now. I'm not talking about a life of perfection. I'm not talking about a life where we don't fail or disobey along the way. But I'm talking about a life that's taking Jesus seriously and obeying His Word. Because what happens is we point back to something that happened years ago. I raised my hand at VBS. I filled out the form. I came forward. I was even baptized or took communion. And we, we equate that with our faith in Christ. And I'm not looking to degrade any of those things. But we put our faith in those expressions rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not continuing in our faith. 
And it seems the life that you're living, even though you're saying you're a believer, is the old way of life. And your attitude is you, you paid your fire insurance and you're using him as a sin credit card. You're abusing the grace of God. And the Apostle Paul starts out in Romans chapter 6 saying, what then? Should we continue in sin that grace should abound? His response is, may it never be. How can we who died to sin continue to live in it? And if you read the rest of the chapter, it talks about why do we want to continue in those things we are ashamed of? Those things lead to death. Jesus came to set us free from sin and death, not to continue in it. And I think we have gotten messed up in our hearts and our minds sometimes about that issue. And that a living faith is alive. James chapter 2, verse 26, that faith without works is dead. If there's real living faith, it will manifest itself in a living obedience. And meanwhile, we neglect the spiritual, organic, or life-giving connection of just making daily faith connection with Him as the object of our faith, not ourselves or someone else. Jesus' words in John 15, 5-6, I am the vine, you are the branches, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I don't think Jesus is talking about loss of reward here. I think he's talking about dead wood, spiritually, that eventually experiences judgment. From a medical standpoint, and I'm not a medical doctor, so forgive me if this, if this illustration falls flat. But it'd be like a diabetic who consistently injects insulin into him or herself. Because that's what his or her body needs. But then they decide that they no longer need it or want to bother with it. The body still needs that medical insulin to live. But the belief that you don't need it or declaring that a doctor gave you a prescription is not going to help. Those things won't help. You need to have that, that daily injection of insulin. And just as a diabetic needs to continue taking insulin, we who call ourselves Christ followers need to continue in our faith in Him and continue in our abiding in Him. So we need to continue in our faith. Number two, we must hold firm to our faith in Christ. Established firm. This is the language of foundation, of being deeply rooted. And this is a question that only you can answer in your heart. But we as Americans have a lot of things that can distract us where we're looking for life, where we're looking to build a foundation on. When we dig deep down in our soul, what are you firmly planning your hope, your faith upon? Is it financial security? 
Is it your possessions? Is it your home, your friends, your family, your career, your education, your health, technology, your nationality? All those things can be taken from you. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. Most of those things that he had going for him on an earthly level have been taken for him. But his hope is in Christ. I had the privilege of watching a a great documentary about Corrie ten Boom this week. If you know her story, she was part of a pretty well-to-do Dutch family, clockmakers, Christians, dad, two sisters, a couple brothers. And when Nazi Germany invaded, they decided to hide Jews as they were being persecuted. And they were pretty successful at it for a while until they were betrayed. And then everything that they had from an earthly standpoint was taken away. They were thrown into prison, separated. Their elderly father was a godly man, died about 10 days later. And Corey and her sister Betsy were thrown into a concentration camp, cruelly treated, no rights, horribly treated. You know what their saving grace was from abuse? Actually, the hut that they lived in was full of lice and, and fleas. And the guards wouldn't come in there to abuse them. So as long as they were in there, they were free to do their Bible study, to worship God, and they held on to Christ within this. Jesus upheld Corey and Betsy Ten Boom throughout this until finally Betsy was taken home. And then there was Corey left all alone. And then by an act of God, she was mistakenly released and sent back home. And after the war, you know what the amazing thing was? Is she kept her heart in Christ. She didn't allow the bitterness and the mistreatment of her cause her to become bitter at the Lord or at others. And then God turns her around and makes her this amazing instrument of reconciliation. First of all, to the Dutch people who cooperated with the Nazis in the area. And then to some of even the Nazi guards that had put their faith in Christ. She tells this story how she'd been preaching and there was this man in the back and he wouldn't look at her. And then finally she recognized him and she said, within her flesh all she had was hate. And she said, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I want to extend the grace that you've given me to him. And he said, Fräulein, I don't know if you remember me, but I was one of the guards while you were in the concentration camp. And I have now come to Christ, and I have also come to ask your forgiveness. And she looked to the Lord, and the Lord gave her love for this man. She extended her hand and says, I forgive you, dear brother. But that only came because she kept herself rooted and grounded upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is supernatural. That is not something that is generated by human ability or resources. We need to have our soul sustained, firmly established in Christ. Paul will say this a little bit later in this letter. 
verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. We need to continue to proclaim that good news. And we need to continue to proclaim it to ourselves. To remind ourselves of what He has done. That's how we get deeply rooted and grounded in Him. Reminded that it is by grace through faith that you've been saved. And that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one can boast. That there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, even if you are a Nazi concentration camp guard. That if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Continue in that creation. And then even what Paul has said in this letter, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. We are returning to the truth that we're unable to save ourselves. And we lean on Him with great confidence for all that Jesus has done. We don't, don't have to be waylaid by our, fa- our failures. Because that's how the enemy wants to trip us up, right? The accusation of the enemy, the accuser. No. We are not, no sin or failure is beyond His forgiveness. There is a truth in 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sin, He is faithful. And He is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. But he has to be that foundation, that cornerstone upon which we build our faith. Nothing else. Nothing else. Not our good habits. Not our good financial planning. Not even good things that we've done for each other or someone else. It's all him. It's all him. And if something good comes through us, it's him living his life through us. And last of all, we must not be moved from our faith in Christ. And do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Again, we're going to see this in chapter 2. There's this group looking to move them from the hope of the gospel in Christ to something else. A group that claims to have a superior knowledge, a superior experience of God. And they view their faith in Christ as a nice warm-up lap. But let me tell you, here's where the real big leagues are in spiritual development. Is there something greater than Jesus? No, there is not. Again, He is Lord of creation. He's the Lord of recreation. He's the Lord of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul dealt with this in his church to Galatia. Just let me read these words. People saying you need Jesus plus the law. Galatians 5, 2-5. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will leave no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law 
have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly wait by faith the righteousness for which we hope. Don't be duped. Don't be moved from the hope you have in the gospel. Don't let someone deceive you. And we live in a pluralistic society, don't we? And there are many faiths out there, many beliefs, and we're Americans, and we want to, you know, be accepting of everybody. But we cannot democratize our faith. It does matter what you believe. It does matter. Because what God has done in sending His Son Jesus is going to say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the only way. As intolerant as that sounds to our world, I am the only way. And we cannot be moved from that. We have to stay rooted and grounded in that. We can't put our hope in something else. And so it is my fear for people who have proclaimed a faith in Christ and then they're moved to something else. I fear for them. Let me just illustrate this by pointing to something that happened in God's Old Covenant people, Old Testament people. God visibly, physically, rescues his people, the Israelites, from Egypt. I mean, they see it all. The plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, manna every day, a pillar of fire at night, pillar of cloud in the day. I mean, if you're looking for visible signs, there's a God. Absolutely, it's there. And yet, they put their faith, some of them put their faith in Baal. What? I mean, it, it seems crazy to us. But they put their faith in something else. Do not be moved from the hope you have in the gospel. Don't be moved. And I'm not saying if somebody has made that choice that there's no room to repent. As soon as still as they have breath in their lungs, there's still an opportunity for that person to repent. But they cannot be saved if they do not have their faith on Jesus Christ. They cannot be saved. From an Old Testament perspective, there will be no Baal worshipers in heaven, folks. And there will be no worshipers of some other God, some other Lord, some other thing in heaven. It will only be the followers of Jesus Christ. Let me finish up. The gospel is personal to Paul. This is the gospel that you heard. Colossians, this is the game changer. This is the game changer that moved you from these blinded pagan Gentiles and brought you into the kingdom of the living God who made you children, saints, without blemish, holy, 
faultless in His sight. This is what changed you. Don't let go. Don't let go. My question for us, are we allowing the gospel to continue? Are we allowing Jesus to continue to change us? And the men and women who are more like Him. This gospel that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. The gospel is the message that the world See, the gospel is the message that can, that the world, that can change the world and change them. Do we understand that it really is the only true hope for the world? <laughs> Again, you know, I, I look back at what happened to Corey Ten Boom and what happened in World War II, and now I look at what's happening in Ukraine. Folks, human resources, human wisdom is not going to figure that one out. We are not going to be able to save ourselves. But what if the gospel affected Vladimir Putin? What if the gospel came and changed the people of Ukraine and Russia? Wouldn't that change the game? It is the only hope. And ultimately, God is going to say enough. And he's going to set all things right. And the question will be, are you his or are you not? But it is the only hope. And when we tell people the good news, it is their only hope. And last of all, for Paul, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The gospel is the message that changed Paul and has given him a life mission for which he was giving and for which he gave his life. Gladly. What are you giving your life for? What are you giving your life to? He's given us a message. He's given us a mission. What are we giving our lives to? This is a tough passage, folks. There's a lot to wrestle with. And I don't know that I've answered all the questions, and I'm sure it brings up some more. But here's what we do know. Our faith in Christ is not a one-time event. We have to continue. And we need to be rooted and grounded in who Jesus is, in that gospel. And we need to be doggedly determined to not be moved from it. Because there is no other hope. Let's not be duped by the shiny things of this world. There is no other hope. And it is hope. Let me pray, and then I'll invite the worship team to close us. So Lord, this is a challenging word. And I pray, Lord, that if there is some sort of confusion out there, I pray that you'll bring understanding, maybe even in someone coming and asking questions. The word is clear, Lord. You want us to continue in our faith. You want us to continue walking with you. You want us to be fully grounded and rooted in you. And you want us, Lord, to not be moved from our faith in Jesus. So I thank you for this challenging word. May it do its work in us. And may we be people who are found 
exercising a living faith, Lord Jesus, when you come, find faith here at the corner of Kenosha and Valley High. That's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.